Good morning, everybody. So lovely to be here with you this morning. Um, and everybody who's watching online, lovely to have you with us as well. I want to ask a question to start off with this morning. And that question is, who are you? If you were asked in a group of people to tell us your name and maybe a little bit about yourself, what comes to mind? What would you say? Maybe let's take it a little bit deeper. If there was a paragraph that you had to write and I gave you the first two words and the first two words of that paragraph were I am dot, dot, dot. What would you write? What are the things um, you do or say in your first conversation with someone to give an idea of like, who you are? Um, what is the first impression you're trying to give? For all you frequent users of social media, what does your Instagram page tell other people? What are you trying to portray about yourself? And if you have like a notebook or maybe an app on your phone, I'd love you to just write down those two words, I am. And then as we go through the, the sermon, or as we kind of like unpack this thought specifically, for you to write down maybe things that you would finish that sentence with, the paragraph that you would write there. And then I want to ask you another question, and this is a question that nobody ever really asks you, but the answer to it reveals who you think you are and also what kind of drives your life. And that question is, why do you matter? What actually makes you valuable in this world? And you can jot that one down too if you like. Um, why do you matter, that question? And what we are talking about here when we reflect on the question of who we are and why we matter is actually how we would define those questions, how we answer them, is how we would define our identity. Now, identity can be defined as your sense of self, and your sense of worth, all right? So let's break that down a little bit. Your identity, um, if we can see the diagram there, is your sense of self, who you think you are, and your sense of worth, your value, okay? And then what that leads into, what you think about yourself um, your, uh, and how you value yourself, kind of filters into why you matter, your meaning, your purpose. And because of why you think you matter, because you want to matter, um, this determines what you do with your life. Because we all want to matter, right? We all want to have purpose for our life to actually mean something. So let me give you an example. My I am statement would start off with, I am what I do. So my identity lies heavily in my performance. My sense of self, who I think I am, is somebody who can work hard. And my sense of worth, the sense that gives me value, is working, right? So because this is what my identity lies in, to justify the air that I breathe, what makes me feel like I matter, what gives me purpose is in this world is that I can work hard. So, my, this, this kind of shapes my life. That's the identity that shapes my life. So, my decisions, see, what shapes your life, the decisions you make, are going to be prioritizing work, okay? The time that I spend on things, the decisions I make about time, are also going to prioritize work. So, my entire life is shaped by the belief that I am what I do. And some of you might relate to that one. 
um, maybe not hard work as a general concept, but maybe something more specific, like you are what you do and you find your value in your education, or you are what you do because you find your value in your job and being able to do that well. So it's what you deeply identify with, and that's value, and that's how you prioritize all decisions in your life. So identity is the root from which we grow. It's the grounding that determines our decisions. Because who we think we are determines why we think we matter, which determines what we do, because we all want to matter. Okay? So maybe your I am statement starts off with I am what I have. Maybe your identity and your value lies quite heavily in your possessions, your fancy car or your house or the school that your kids go to. Maybe it's a little bit more um, <laughs> trendy for the younger folk and it's like it lies in my clearly thrifted clothes and my bamboo reusable coffee mug, right? Like that's my identity, this is my possessions, you know? If we had those electric cars, they're Teslas or something, right? You know, like that's an identity statement, you are what you have. Maybe your statement is, I am what other people think I am. That what people think matters to you so much that you become whatever they need you to be so that you feel loved and accepted. You desperately will become the, the cool kid or the kind and loving one or the one who goes out of their way for everybody who never says no so that you can feel loved and accepted. Maybe you're a mom or dad and all that you need to know is that your kids think that you are a good parent. Or maybe other parents think you are a good parent. Maybe that's where it desperately lies. So the problem is, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, these things, all of them, that we find our value in, our sense of self, and who we think we are, can disappear in an instant, if you think about it, right? And then who are you? <laughs> then what makes you valuable? What makes you matter? What justifies your existence? What happens when we fail to succeed in deriving value and purpose from these callings and these identities, right? I can testify to that. I'm in a situation where I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. So I'm doing enough to support myself, right? But that doesn't take up my whole day. And I'm in a position where I feel deeply insecure when somebody asks me what I do. Or I feel deeply insecure when somebody's like, what do you do with your day? Because my identity lies so heavily in what I do. So heavily. Um, and because of that, because it lies in that, where I derive value, my value deteriorates as a human being. How I justify my existence is a lot less. What I contribute to the world is a lot less. So I'd like you to take a short moment um, to maybe just think about a few things. You can jot them down, or just, I just want us to take a few moments to think of where we might find our sense of self and our sense of worth, so our identity, right? What are the roots of your value? What are the things that when you think of them being taken away, when they, of them just disappearing, of them removing from your life, what are those things that you would just be left like a deer in the headlights with no idea who you are or why you matter? I'm just going to ask you to take a minute to do that. Does that make sense? Cool. Awesome. 
And these, let me just clarify, these can be good things, right? There's nothing wrong with being a good parent. There's nothing wrong with being a good friend or loving your job. But the problem is that if these things are who you are, where you find your value at a fundamental level, if they're the things that drive why you matter, there is a massive problem because your value, why you matter, can disappear with the click of a finger. But I promise you, I'm not here to leave us all in a state of um, identity crisis. What I'd love to do this morning is to realign ourselves with who we really are and why we really matter, what actually determines our value. I want us to change these I am dot, dot, dot statements into ones that are true and unshakable that cannot be taken away from you. Now, these are specifically for you if you are a follower of Jesus. So if you are not, I want to say welcome. It's so nice to have you with us. And secondly, I want you to know that this is on offer for you. This unshakable identity is something that God deeply desires to give you. So the first I am statement, so we've been thinking about I am this, and that's why you matter. It's your sense of self and your sense of worth. The first one is I am named. You are named. And we're going to look at Ephesians 1 verse 1 to 14 to see this. It's a good thing I'm not preaching out of revelation in this Bible. Shame. Okay, let's read it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, that is the Jews, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you, that's us, were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who, has a, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen to that. You are named... I've highlighted two things through this text. Sorry, Dave. Um, two things through this text, and you'll see in blue, we have that Paul, what Paul unpacked a few weeks ago, and that is that our spiritual, our spiritual blessings, right? So we see them in the different texts. 
And then in red, we have why, the why or the, the where, where those blessings are. And that is in Jesus, right? Now, we've looked at these as spiritual blessings, as spiritual blessings. But what are they also? Paul is going on and on and on about who we are. These are identity statements. And where is that identity? It is in Jesus. You are named. And what does this tell us? It tells us that identity is received. It's not not created. It's not self-created. It is received and given to you. We are named holy and blameless, adopted, chosen, loved, redeemed, under grace, forgiven, heirs to an inheritance, God's possession, sons and daughters. You want to know where your sense of self and your sense of worth comes from? It is given to you. You are made valuable because he says you are valuable. He has named you as his own, and at your fundamental, unchanging core, this is who you are. This is who you are, right? You want to know why you matter? It's because God made you matter. You want to know why you have value? It's because God made you valuable. You want to know who you are? You are holy, and you are loved, and you are blameless, and you are God's possession, and you are righteous, and he has named you his own in Jesus. That's who you are at that fundamental level, and it can never, ever be taken away from you. Whether you have a puffed up sense of self or you think of yourself so lowly that you feel unworthy, unworthy of life, um, unworthy of any value. God says you are holy because he named you holy. And you are blameless because he named you blameless. You are his son and daughter because he has adopted you as his son and daughter. Our identity is received from God. Let's look at Ephesians 2, um, 6 verse 9. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in kind expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is a gift from God not by works so that no one can boast do you think Paul's trying to make a little bit of a point there He's saying it is received from God. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself more valuable, more worth something. Identity is received, not achieved. Okay, I'd like you all to stand with me and say a statement after me, a new identity statement. And what I'm going to ask you to say after me is... I am named by God to the praise of his glory. That is who you are. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. <laughs> you are named by God to the praise of his glory. Now, the second I am statement that we're going to shift away from the things that we find in this world for identity is... I am called. You are called. Let's go back to the diagram. So, who we think we are drives what we are called to do. 
why we exist, why we're on this earth, right? And we have established that we are named by God, that our identity is received, given to us, and not achieved. So if our sense of self and our sense of worth, our identity comes from God by way of logical thought, who gives us purpose? Who calls us? Who makes us matter? God, the one who gave us the identity, right? So who we are determines why we matter, which determines what we do. So that would be the third thing there. Let's read Ephesians um, 1, verse 18 to 19. So Paul's just told us who we are, and then this is a prayer of thanksgiving, right? He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So what has Paul just done before this prayer? What have we just said? That he is naming us, right? God's named us. He's telling us who we are in Jesus. And then after this, right after he's told us this, he goes into a prayer and he's saying things like, God, won't you give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know you better? Won't you open their eyes to are the eyes of their heart to truly believe what you've said that they are in Jesus? Won't you help them, help them to know this truth at their core, to believe it in their hearts of hearts? Now, why would Paul pray this after he's, he's saying, Lord, won't they believe this? But he's just told us this. It's a bit weird, right? Um, and I think I know why that might be. Why, why would it be difficult for us to believe? Why does he have to say, Lord, won't you help them to understand who they are when they know in their heart of hearts who they are and the hope to which he has called us to? And I think it's because we don't have to look further than the last five minutes of our life to know that we don't feel holy. We don't feel blameless, Right? The things you think, the things you do, your habitual sin as a follower of Christ, you don't feel holy, you don't feel blameless. And that is, now at this point I'm a little bit, because it even confuses me, <laughs> that I'm going to try and, and explain it as best as possible, but that's because our identity falls into um, a, a corner of theology called the now not yet. Okay, so we see in the New Testament, authors refer to two ages. They refer to the now, the age, this age, and then they refer to the age to come, the age that's coming. Um, so <laughs> when we are called holy and blameless and we are chosen and adopted and we don't feel that way, it's who we are, but it's also who we are becoming. It's in the now, not yet stage. That's why God says he calls us to be who we already are. Okay, so the, this concept, it's, it's got like this really intense name, um, which I'm probably going to forget after the sermon, but it's called eschatological realism. And it means you are in the process of becoming who you really are in Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to give you an example. Bates, or like an analogy. <laughs> When were you married? Like what year? How long have you been married for? A long time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, count the years for me. I need 2011. So somebody who can do maths. Almost 10. Almost 10 years. Okay, we're going to go with 10. 
10 years, well done, <laughs> um, impressive stuff. So 10 years ago, on Bates and Jane's wedding day, what happened was that Bates gained the title of being Jane's husband. Okay, what a great title. She's really lucky. And Jane became Bates' wife, okay? So from that day, for the rest of their earthly lives, Bates will be Jane's husband. That is not going to change, right? But I'm willing to bet that Bates, maybe Jane would agree with me more, but maybe both of you. I'm willing to bet that Bates would say, that he's probably a better husband now than he was on the day that he married Jane. Would you agree that you've grown a little bit? Fact. <laughs> That's what Bates says. He's like, fact. <laughs> I am a better husband. Bates is a better husband today than he was the first day that he married her. But was he, Jane's, was he any more or less of Jane's husband the day he married her? No. He is in the process of becoming who he already is. He will spend the rest of his life, he is titled husband of Jane, but he will spend the rest of his earthly life becoming more and more of what that means. Does that make a little bit of sense? Awesome. So that's what it means. We are in the process of becoming who we really are in Jesus. He names you and then he calls you. So he says, this is who I have made you. Now be who you are. It's beautiful, guys. In Ephesians, we see from chapter 1 to 3, there is not a single command. There's not a single imperative that tells us to do something. Paul goes on and on and on, telling us who we are in Jesus. That's all he's doing. And then the first thing he says in chapter 4, the first command he gives is he says, uh, Ephesians, 1 verse, um, Ephesians 4 verse 1, he says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He says, be who you are. I've told you who you are, now be it. Just as Bates becomes titled husband, he will flourish and grow in that of becoming who he already is. Okay, then we see in Ephesians 4, verse 20 to 24 again. So this is the wrestle, right? We're always going to wrestle that we don't feel holy, we don't feel blameless, but we're called to be it, and we're called to be who we already are. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 20 to 24, that, so this is in the command section now, right? But he says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ, and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we can be it, guys. You are it. You are holy and blameless in Jesus, even when you don't feel like it. So what does this look like in our life? What, it, what does it look like to be called to be who we already are, that Christ has made us? It looks like not reveling in guilt. It looks like not sitting in shame, thinking somehow you're doing something really good before you go to God. He's saying, I've made you holy and I've made you blameless, so come before me boldly because this is who you already are. 
It means that when we see somebody doing something, our friends, when we want to call them out, when we're like, that's not really what you're supposed to be doing. We don't say, that's horrible and you're a horrible person. We say, hey, that's not who you are. I just want to put you on the path to being who you really are, who we've been called to be, right? It looks like embracing a life where we've been given an identity and just walk in it. That's, that's the goal. That's the, this thing that really drives us to be holy, to be blameless. It's because God's done it all. I want you to stand again with me, please. So the next I am statement that we are going to change from all this rubbish that the world tells us is I am called by God to be who I am for the praise of his glory. Amen. Thank you, guys. That is who you are. You are called by God. You are named by God to the praise of his glory. So the next I am statement, we've got a little bit more to do with, right? We've got some role to play there. The the other two are just God. It's literally all him. And this is to do with the last stage of the diagram. And it is, I am what I behold. So we see that our identity is given to us by God, and then our purpose, our calling, is also given by God, right? And then he calls us to be who we are in him. And then lastly, because we know who we are, we know our purpose and our calling is to then be who we are, our lives and decisions should be shaped by that, because why we matter shapes our lives, and we all want to matter. And we're told we do matter because of Jesus, right? These are the things, these are the truths that should shape our decisions, but they often don't. We see Paul pray um, also in Ephesians 1 verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Guys, we are what we behold. To know who you are, you have to spend time knowing who he is. For you to actually grasp this stuff, for you to believe it at a fundamental core level, for you not to be shaken by what the world throws at you, you have to know and believe in your heart of hearts that God is the giver of your identity. And to do that, you have to behold him. You have to know him better. And I fear for identity. I think we let the world tell us, like we can see from those statements where we get our value from, I think we let the world tell us who we are. We behold what it tells us to behold. And we are robbing ourselves from truth, from life, right? By using the vast array of weapons that the world has freely on offer, and we don't even think about it. We are mindless in the way that we conduct our days, mindless in what we behold. We spend hours and hours of our day on things that do absolutely nothing to grow us. Our lives are ruled by our phones and other devices, and if we even have a minute to spare, we find ourselves on apps that leave us scrolling and scrolling and scrolling for hours. And soon enough, 
you've found that you've wasted hours that have accumulated to days that could probably accumulate to years of your life that mean absolutely nothing, all wasted on mindless content that you are so addicted to, it's like a motor skill to open those apps when you don't have something to do. The same goes for television and YouTube and online shopping and Pinterest, the list goes on, you know. We are choosing to behold things that are pacifiers to conviction, pacifiers to revelation, pacifiers to meaningful thought, to know God. It's, this is wasted life. And what does that mean at its truest level? It means that God, the one who breathed air into your lungs, the one that prepared good works in advance for us to do, the creator of the universe that has given us an entire book telling us who we truly are because of who he is, the one who instructs us to meditate on his word, the one who tells us that unless he is building the house that it means nothing, that it's done in vain, the one who instructs us to be informed by the transforming and renewing of our mind, the one who tells us to die to self daily and put on the new identity we have in Christ, to fight for unity with one another at all costs, we have traded in the one, Jesus, who has given you a name, a value, and a purpose for cheap distractions. Because we are what we behold. And we are sometimes slowly, but more often rapidly, replacing a moment of listening to him with checking online deals. The two minutes we have while the kettle boils are used to switch, uh, watch Instagram stories, or instead of, just, instead of like looking out the window and taking those moments to express gratitude for his many blessings. The five minutes in the shop queue, what are you, fill in the gap for what Apple, what are you doing in that time? Instead of praying for those that we love, in the half an hour we maybe have in the morning or some time that we have at night, we spend just watching television, shows, YouTube videos, instead of spending time in God-breathed scripture, prayerfulness, prayerful worship, repentance, asking God to humble us, to pray for our enemies, to shine on and reveal the darkest parts of our heart that we may be led in the way of the everlasting. Okay. We are what we behold. And the foundation of our identity is built and rooted in loving relationship with God. So I want to ask you, what are you beholding? Guys, he has designed us to be in relationship with him and in relationship with one another. And we are spending, are we actually spending time being present in real relationship, real conversation, conversation that builds one another up, that spurs us on in our hope in Christ, right? I'm a little bit scared of um, how little this seems to happen in our lives. God made us to be in relationship with him. Right? Are we spending time in conversation that makes us feel known and understood and loved, the other person and us, just as Christ knows us and loves us and understands us? But we seem to find ourselves in cheap, shallow relationship with God and cheap, shallow relationship with one another. And this sounds a bit overboard. It sounds a bit hectic, right? It's like, throw away all your devices. <laughs> Don't spend any time on anything that isn't Jesus, right? But I think it's going to look a bit different for everyone. What I'm trying to provoke in our thoughts is what are we filling our minds with? What are we beholding? I'm not saying that we have to like 
get rid of everything and never look at media again, but I'm saying, are we asking that question? Are we spending time with our maker, the one who gives us our sense of self, our sense of worth, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our calling? What are you beholding? Because it's shaping you, right? And I'm not advocating for less fun, guys. I'm advocating for more fun, more joy, wholesome life, where you feel so secure in who you are because nothing can touch you, because you know that your value, who you are, is from God, right? Let's not throw away life so that we can remain slaves to lies and rubbish and things that draw us further and further away from who we were made and called to be. So I urge you, whatever it looks like, to fight for a life lived for nothing less than what it was intended for. I charge you as a follower of Jesus to fight for life. There's a few things I want you to say with me now. (laughs) Can you stand? Okay, say after me. I am named by God. I am called by God. I am what I behold, and I will fight for life by beholding God. Amen. Thank you. Let it be done. So I think some of you may be feeling convicted and maybe need to repent. Um, And sorry, let me just clarify. This is me. This whole thing is because God has convicted me on what I behold, on what I feel called to, from what I value. So I'm not standing here from the pulpit as a perfect person in any sense. But some of you um, might be feeling convicted like me and need to repent for not living as you are in habitual sin. Um, not living as you've been made to be in Christ. Some of you might need to repent for what you've substituted beholding God for. Maybe you need to ask him what changes need to happen in life for you to do that. Some of you are stuck in just reminding yourself continuously that you are horrible. And I want to tell you that you don't have to do that. It happens naturally, okay? You need to spend time beholding God and who has made you to be as holy and blameless and chosen and loved. And some of you, the most important thing that you've heard today is that you are deeply loved by God, that you are worthy and you are valuable and you matter because he has made you to be those things. And that is what I want you to pray, that the eyes of your heart may be open to so that you may know him better, so that you may know that you are named, that you are called, and that you are what you behold. Thank you so much. just want to pray with us quickly. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you tell us who we are, that we are worthy because you've made us worthy, that we are valuable because you've made us valuable, Father. And I pray that that this will be like a honey that embalms our hearts, Father, that this will be the thing that we yearn to be, to be who we are, Lord Jesus. Lord, the things that we need to restructure in our lives so that we are able to behold you, so that we are able to stand secure and firm in who you've made us to be and what you've called us to. Lord Jesus, I ask that you give us strength to, to make those decisions and to, yeah, just change our hearts on those things, Lord. And most of all, Lord, I pray that this 
truth, the truth of who we are in you will penetrate our hearts to the core, that at a fundamental level, we will know that all that we are is because of all that you are, Lord. Thank you for who you are. I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.